As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Today, we are speaking about truly an issue that's been on my mind quite a bit, actually. And that is the affair of what we know as the black middle class. I think sometimes people get caught up or maybe they seem to view class as this kind of mystified, nebulous group. And as Kwame Nkrumah quite accurately defined, class is merely a group of individuals who share the same material interest. And I think that working definition is interest is important for us when we speak about class and material interest and material analysis. Joining me today, I have my dear brother, Inkazi, all the way from South Africa. How are you, my brother? I'm good, my brother. It's good to hear from you. No, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me. So straight away, we're going to talk about, I mean, for those who didn't see, me and Kaz did a very, very interesting live about the situation in South Africa now that can be found on my Instagram at The Gambian. And kind of a, not a continuation, but a topic that we spoke about was the issue of class, was the black middle class. So how do you see the black middle class playing out in South Africa? Before I go on, I just wanted to do a little tradition we do here in South Africa before we start anything, yeah? Okay. It just will take two seconds, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so it's like, you know, in, the, in Nigeria, the Igbos, they break a colonel before they talk. In South Africa, the Zulus, mm-hmm. they say Sawon. So you can Sawon. Yeah, uh, Sawon. Okay. That means I see you. I recognize okay. you in the spirit, in this realm that we are in. I can see you. And you will mm-hmm. back to me and say Sawon. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. That was quite important, you know, because mm-hmm. it quite touched on the topic that we're talking about today, about the, the, the black middle class or the so-called black middle class. And mm-hmm. it's very interesting how, you know, through my talks and conversations with you, that mm-hmm. me here all the way in South Africa and you there all the way in the UK, can, mm-hmm. and someone probably in America is dealing with yep. the same issue. Mm-hmm. And that means the problem or the cause rather is the same. Yeah. You know, so for me, biggest observation or my biggest contention rather with the with this so-called idea of a black middle class is, is that it's this question of an identity crisis. Yes. You know, and it's interesting because I'm speaking to you and where I'm from, I'm probably considered a black middle class. Mm-hmm. On the basis of my that that I'm college educated, or okay. where I live, or even the fact that I mean I'm talking to you right now, you know, my access mm-hmm. to information, my access to to technology, my access to to certain privileges which are not really yes. commonly found by, uh, by the majority working class in South Africa. Yes, so they were considered. They, they were basically then then. By virtue of that, I'll be considered a, a, a black middle class. Yes. But it's my interest, or rather the interesting part of that, is that it seemingly seems like this idea of class is yeah. formed on the basis of your 
proximity to whiteness, right? Interesting. Because obviously now, these very same things I'm telling you about are all kind of considered Western civilization. Mm -hmm. So college education, where you live in a suburb or an environment where it's mostly white white neighborhood, you went to a white majority school, you speak the language, you speak the culture, you... You know, even the accent <laughs> plays a role. And I think it's very interesting when we speak about it from the South African perspective. And and, mm. and even if we expand it further, South African perspective because of apartheid, mm. but also if we expand it further to uh, the to colonialism across the continent, mm. wasn't that the pattern? Wasn't this isn't this what Franz Fanon speaks about when we train the native bourgeois bourgeoisie to then become the mm. new colonizers? Yeah, I mean, in, in his book, The Black Skin, White Mask, he he, yeah. he definitely he touches on that, you know. He speaks about that and saying that the bourgeoisie becomes the, the new colonizers. And yeah. it's supposed to be that way. Of course. You know? Of course. And this is why, I, I'll be honest with you, me mm. and you, I mean, me and you, we love black people, of course. Mm. But this is why I, I get a bit upset with a race-only politics. Mm. Because a race-only politics mystifies who's on your side. Mm. Because immediately you see a black person, and because of this race solidarity you want to have with this black person, you feel like it's incumbent upon you to support this black person. Mm. But then when you have a material analysis, it it easily dispels, nope, this person is not on my side. Mm-hmm. This person is all too happy to serve the interests of the white elite. Mm-hmm. This person is all too interested to play the the role of the native bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important. That's why I like, I always say, you know, inject me with a race a politic that's infused with a material and class politics. But mm-hmm. yeah, carry on, sorry. But even that on its own, it's, it's, it's quite an interesting thing because... I'm all, my fascination is always pre-colonization. You know how how do mm-hmm. we, how do we exist in Africa? What 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 sort what sort of social contracts we had as different mm-hmm. people from different yeah. tribes from different environments? Because obviously not everyone had a farm with cows, and you understand it. It, yeah. it, it had some form of class. Of course, and, and you you see it in in the different practices. They'll tell you that. You know, when certain scarifications are on the face, it means this person belonged in the social rank, you know, whereas this person maybe belonged in a lower rank or higher rank or top rank or a royalty, you know. But I, yes. I, and, and I'm always interested in, in how they behave then and how much of that was then influenced or changed when colonization came about. And for me, I think what, what it did is that with colonization, it gave us a, a goal that success is white and anyone mm-hmm. close to it is civilized. Anyone yes. further away from it is uncivilized. So yeah. with black people, we all start on the ground, <laughs> uncivilized. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. And then there are those who, and who have to be given certain access or limited access and opportunities, do you understand? Who then become the what you call the bourgeoisie and 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 then the bourgeoisie because now this is a system it's a system so Mm -hmm. there's no way you know you can be exist in it and not portray the behavior of the ones who created it of course whether you like it or not you know you 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 want to you want to need a 
You want to have a garden boy or domestic work. You want to have to learn about French Revolution. And, and <laughs> you, you have to discard your own history, your own culture, your own background, who you are, how you talk, how you communicate, how you think, you know, how you spiritually express yourself. It has to be completely different because you're in the system and you have to exist in it. Absolutely, but uh, not even about just addition to that though. I would say it's very interesting. I mean, you mentioned pre-colonial Africa. Mm-hmm. Sekou Toure, uh, the president of Guinea, he makes a very important point. He says that there's a difference between social difference mm-hmm. or differentiation mm-hmm. and class. Mm-hmm. Because we have no we have no issue recognizing difference. Of course, it, I mean, not everyone, not every person is going to be the same. That's true. However, we know in pre-colonial Africa, this is not to paint it out as a utopia. We, we know those mm. discussions are immature discussions. No place is perfect. Mm-hmm. But what we do see is there were there was at least a different way of uh, existing amongst in a society. Mm. What we call communalism. Mm, communalism true. being that yes, okay, I might not have a farm or I might not have this skill. However, we collectively pool our resources we collectively pool our skills for who though for the benefit of the community that's very true in fact in, in zulu culture right we have this practice called overseas what basically how what used to happen is that a family would have cattle and the other yeah. family would have cattle and the other one would have cattle and the one obviously now they breed right and yes. When they when these ones breed, now here's Momodo and Gazi and let's say James, right? Yes. James is is a young man who's trying to start establish his family. What would happen mm-hmm. is that myself and you, from our cows, we would give him maybe I give him six, you give him six, and then he mm-hmm. has twelve, and then the, uh, my cows and yours they they breed. And then he takes, he nurtures them, take care of them. They breed and they produce. And the cattle that comes from there become his. And then he sends back mine six, gives you back your six, and now he has his own. You understand? So basically, what I'm trying to say is that to like you, you perfectly explain it that way. Is that if we have a communalism, you know, yes. a type of uh, what we call Ubuntu. Saying Ubuntu, Ubuntu, yes, Ubuntu, Ubuntu, Gabantu. Meaning, I am because you are. We, we, are, we, are, we are connected. And I think may, the biggest issue, or the fundamental issue with, 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 the, with the class system is that it avoids the biggest factor, which is the spiritual aspect. Exactly. You know, everything is material. Yeah. So everything is That's very yeah. interesting because that is the critique in many ways of, let's say, Cedric Robinson, who, you know, he wrote Black Marxism. Mm. And that is the critique of sometimes traditional Marxists. Mm. They say that, you know, they, they only concentrate on the material. Mm. And, you know, Sekou Toure and, and other Pan-African leaders constantly spoke about the need for, cult- the, the, the room for culture in our struggle. Mm. And, the part, and, you know, we have people, again, we have... Africans have a way of life. That's mm. not to homogenize every single African, but as you're right, you know, mm. Africans have some traditional religions. They have some of them have embraced Islam. Mm. Some of them have. And what does that mean? That means that they have different understandings of what it means to be a human being, yeah. first and foremost, yeah. and they have different understandings of how history is moved forward. Yeah. And what are the motivations of some people in that history? And I think again, it's very important that you know we don't neglect that as as 
Africans. But however, at the same time, I fully hear you, Nunkazi, but my question to you then is, I understand all of that and that should be cultivated. Yeah. But at the same time, once, and, and this is not to say I recognise racism has an effect psychologically. Yeah. I recognise the need for psychoanalysis of how race plays out. Yeah. But one thing, I, I don't know, one thing, maybe because I see it in front of me and you probably see it more drastically than I, but we see people starving every single day. 100%. And because you see people starving, you can imagine it's a bit, I find it very difficult to have other conversations. Mm. I'm like, nope, I have to get people fed. How, mm-hmm. what, what, what can we do to get people fed? What can we do that will increase the material conditions of, of feeding people? Of, you know, so that always for me comes at the forefront. Mm-hmm. That's why I focus on the material. I don't know what you think of that. Mm-hmm. You know, in South Africa, this kind of plays out very interestingly, you know? Mm-hmm. Because what you find is, is when you look at that, this idea of utilitarianism, you mm-hmm. know, is the, the majority must be happy, then we're all happy. Here, yeah. here, here, here in, in, in South Africa, our understanding of wealth, and by our, I mean the majority, people who are very much cultivated in their culture and in, in the way of life of how they used to live. You know, okay. it's, it's completely different from those who then accept the Western way of living. Because when you then participate in capitalism, mm-hmm. then of course, then by, by, by virtue of the fact that I have a humble home, I have, mm-hmm. I have oh, maybe one in source of income for the whole family. You would look at me and say, mm-hmm. we're starving. You know, these are the indigenous and the poor. But they don't see yeah. it that way. Oh, okay. You understand? They don't, they, don't, they don't see themselves that way. You understand? How it goes back to that idea of communism. Communism, that spirit of communism, meaning as long as we all are okay, then we are okay. Uh, as, as, as different from this idea of okay but you know uh, this household needs to live like this and that household needs to live like that and this particular household needs to have this certain standard of living for you know it, 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 which then creates this competitiveness which is what capitalism really is you know it's, it's a survival of the fittest is you know dog eats dog the one at the top of the food chain and the one at the at the bottom is different. Yeah, for real. But then how, I, I, I hear that, and I think that's a very important. Thank you for that perspective. Mm. My only kind of addition to that or comment was, how do we then incorporate? Like, okay, we know people might be satisfied. People might have a different outlook into as to what is considered wealth and what is considered their material interest being satisfied. But also, notwithstanding that we could improve those situations drastically mm. if we stop the exploitation of people and resources from those who are capitalists. Do you know what I mean? To yeah, those who are yeah, imperial. You're absolutely right. And that is not one of my biggest issues with uh, NGOs. And I see them a lot in, in Europe, mm-hmm. especially in, in the, I'm sorry to say, in the Muslim space, you know, where yeah. you have this thing from people from Europe or America, which, I mean, it's a good intention. You know, God must reward them for their intention. But you have this idea where you come to a community, you know, they have a certain way of living. You come with your standard. You want to impose it, you know. These people need this certain thing, certain thing. We want to build this certain thing and, this, and that. And then you, you disturb the way of living that they have already created. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you basically come having solutions, not rather asking the community, what is it that you need? True. Do you understand? So the community 
because the Kupsuri community has been living hundreds of years before you came or you realize there's a problem. Even hundred years after that, they will continue to live even when you create that solution that you that you ha- that you have. You know, you oh we have to build the orphanage or we have to build this. It's good. But in engaging the community, did you find out that this is what they need? Is this what they is this what they want? Because when you engage the community, you will then realize that there is a certain different way or standard of living that then requires tailor-made solutions for exactly that. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's very important. Absolutely. I think mm. people who, and I think it's thank you for saying that. I think you living on the continent, even though I live in, I've lived in North Africa for the mm. past coming up five years. I think it's very important that those, and particularly those in the diaspora, mm. particularly those who are African in mm. the diaspora, that they do not become or embody what we know commonly as that white savior mentality. Yeah. We can't go back to the continent and think that we're going to fix everything and fix everybody. You know, you know. sorry to cut you. You know, I, I said that point is very important, right? It's important because it goes back to the actual topic that we're discussing. We have mm-hmm. a, a certain measure of, of, of success that we have, you know, that people, in order for us to say people are happy or they're fed or they're taken care of or they're living a good human life, they have to live the, in accordance to the standard that we have so uh if you don't have wi-fi or if you don't have running water like a tap basically or if you don't have this um and tables or school chairs or whatever the case is you know then in accordance to how we live in europe you are not living a good life or you're not you're not you, you are you are basically poor right but areas are different yes in the uk maybe schools and all of that will be fundamentally important. But maybe when you come here in what you would know, a place where you're known as a rural or village, you know, there it's more agricultural base. It's more, you know, cultural, communal base, as I said, you know. So fundamentally, if you'd want to solve their problems, because we cannot deny the effect that capitalism, racism, apartheid and colonialism had, even to extent of the villages, you know. Of, of, of taking away the resources, exploiting mm-hmm. the resources. But if you want to create solutions there, you need to provide tailor-made solutions for what they need, the skills they need, you know, what skills you need here. That's yeah. true. That's true. And then but, but having that. said that, mm-hmm. yeah, but having said that at the same time, I think most, if you think of Pan-African leaders mm-hmm. um, who were like Marxists and stuff, they had they took into consideration that because they said, you know, we are talking about agrarian societies. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about industrial societies. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, the solution in agrarian societies are obviously going to be uh, in accordance to the place in which they find themselves in. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important. But again, I do want to ask the question again. How do we have the conversation though where... Should we not? Do you not agree with then organizing against the exploitation of resources by the capitalists? No, no, it is. That's fun. That's what I'm saying. It, that is important, and this is a com- conversation I always have with people. Right? It's like, for instance, if you have an Indian friend, right? Yeah. And an Indian friend wants to show you that he's not racist. He's going to come to you, Mamadou, and your friends and your black friends, chill with you guys and all of that, and tell you that he can show you that he's not racist. He's trying to change your perspective of that, you know, of, of Indian racism by chilling with you. It's okay, but it's wrong. He needs to go to the Indian community 
Mm. You understand? Engage the Indian community on their racism rather than trying to convince you. Mm-hmm. So the same way, we in our spaces, if you are in the UK uh, I'm, and I'm in America, whatever the case is, and there's, sure. a, there's an Apple or a company which is exploiting Congo, you know, I have to deal with Apple there. I'm not going to go back in Congo <laughs> and try and, you know, I have to deal with Apple there on the basis of the the resources and the, and, and the means that are, are available to me. So if I'm interested, Absolutely I need agree. to boycott it or I need to to start a, a, a voice, whatever the case is, you do that. And more importantly, you force your government. So if you have an embassy, you have a UK embassy in Congo, you force the embassy yeah. that, uh, you know, you force the, you push the embassy, you force the embassy to engage with government to change policies that will allow people to actually Absolutely. benefit from the resources that the natural resources that are there. Because Africa, as a continent, is feeding the whole world in terms of mm. resources, natural resources. Yeah. You understand? The whole world is relying on Africa. In terms except of Africans. Except for Africans. Do you understand? No, you're absolutely right. And I think it's like right now we're speaking, you know, with the protests taking place against the revolution in Cuba. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I'm telling people, if you are living in the West and you're asking what, what can I do? What can I do? Yeah. First and foremost, you shouldn't be supporting any imperial actions, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, the thing you can do is calling upon your government to end mm-hmm. the, the, the vicious blockade of Cuba, yes. the embargo. Yes. That's what you should be doing. So mm-hmm. I do see your analogy here. Yes. Um, I do see your analogy here. Mm-hmm. And also, obviously, as well, we always can amplify and support voices on the ground there. We've spoken about so much things, but let's go back into the black and middle class. I think you I think you said to me, in order to understand how the black middle class emerged today, we have to take it back to is it post apartheid you said or yes. during apartheid? Post post apartheid. So please give us a history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in South Africa. And funny enough, you know, I need to say this before as a as a as a disclosure or or as a preamble is that this thing is the same everywhere. In America, in the UK, yeah. in it's the same. You know, here in South Africa, basically what happened is basically colonization happened. And in 1652, the white, white people arrived. 1652. Mm-hmm. They arrived and they established... In fact, it's funny, it's a company called the Dutch VOC. The Dutch, they basically wanted to establish a, a cooling-off area for when they trade, so the ships can rest. They wanted a, a rest area. And then okay. and then they saw that, okay, the Cape is actually a rest area when you travel from from, from Asia into to Europe, which is okay. why there is an argument, actually, that the, the globe or what the map of the world as a seed is a lie. So Africa is not really at the bottom, it's on top. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's another conversation. So they wanted a, a resting, so they created this resting area. When they created this resting area, they realized that, oh, there's, there's, there's this place, you know, which was inhabited by people who are in the Cape was the Khoisans. Okay. Right. And then they came and engaged and colonized and declared it their land and stole land and went up north and came to Kaiser and they met the Zulus and they met the Kosas in the east and they met the Venda and the Tonga there on, on, on top. So, you know, missionaries came, all this, the whole story of how colonization go in, in all the different countries in Africa. But now, interesting enough, then 
Then there was what you call the Anglo-Boer War, which basically was a, a war between the British and the Afrikaner. The Afrikaner are okay. from the Dutch, are from the Netherlands. You know, they they okay. from the Netherlands. They they came here in, in in South Africa, and they were also under what you call British colonization, and oh, that's what they say. But they were they were other also colon colonizers. They came and they fought for the land of Africa, of South Africa, the, okay. which was the Anglo-Boer War. And then the British and the and the Afrikaner had an agreement. And then they formed what you know as the Union of South Africa, saying, okay, we're going to divide this part. You're going to take that part. You're going to take that part. No one of indigenous people from this land was involved in the conversation. And then from there... Uh, what we now know about about it was in 1948 established as basically a, a system imposed by the Afrikaner against okay. you know the the uh, the native people the indigenous people of this country and then they had the ANC was formed and other political parties was formed and they had negotiations with Nelson Mandela and his and and and, and his team and then they agreed. Which was what 92, 94, Codessa, they agreed that okay, we're going to give you political freedom where you're allowed to vote. It's very important to note that while this was happening globally, there was a boycott, you know? So they felt the economic pressure that, okay, now people, you know, no longer making money. So apartheid is no longer economically sent, it doesn't make sense financially. So we actually mm-hmm. need to give them some rights. Can yeah. I just put uh, something in there? Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that, you know, people like to, I mean, we, we people, I'm, I'm sure my listeners will never be, will never buy into the nonsense propaganda that somehow the West acts benevolently or somehow <laughs> the West acts with, with the interest of humanity mm-hmm. or of humanitarian causes. Mm-hmm. I know that's not the case, mm-hmm. but as you just said right there, even the, abolishment of slavery mm. was really because like it, they had industrialized their countries mm. and they had no longer had the need for the labor in which which they had and how they were accumulating or extracting wealth from mm. this you know slavery mm. or from the slave labor yeah. so it was never to do with morals mm. it's just to do okay it doesn't make sense financially anymore mm. this, you have to and, and it says and says to me time and time again if we are going to get a radical transformation or radical change we have to agitate the pockets of those who own the corporations exactly but yeah that's just my <laughs> but carry on please exactly you understand so they realized no no makes sense financially to to employ impose this apartheid so they went into negotiations and they negotiated they're going to allow your political freedom the political freedom basically means you're allowed to vote you're allowed to sit in government now they, they, their biggest issue was how do we transition, right? How do you move from... Because they didn't consider this... I mean, you must understand that the black people who were sitting on the table negotiating with them were people who were already products of the second-class education, you know, second-class... Oh, the plot thickens, yes. <laughs> so, like, ah, but how are these people going to run these institutions? How are they going to run the mines? How are they going to run government? You know, how are you going to able to control the state you know so mm-hmm. they had what you call the sunset clauses and the sunset clauses was basically saying okay we understand that you you are not we're going to elect you mandela is going to be president fine but in the key offices or the key areas of key 
departments, which is your which is your mining, which is which was your agriculture, which is your 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 financial financial, or is it which known as the treasury? We're going to keep our people, even though it's the security, which is the police and the and the army. We're going to keep our people, and we are also going to do shared skills. So we're going to teach you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to teach you for the first year. So from ninety four to ninety eight, because I mean, your presidency lasts for four years, right? Yeah, a term lasts for four years. So we're going to teach you and teach you the skills and all of that, and you are able to have access to all of this thing. Fine. That happened, and then, and like I said in our in our live yesterday, then the I uh, the TRC happened, which was uh, the yeah. t- the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Everyone came, sat down. This one said, "This is what I did. I'm sorry. Forgive me." People forgave. They gave them money. They left, and this one fell through. Nothing happened. No prosecution. Nothing. People <laughs> went back to live in the very same neighborhood and very same structures that they created, which was another uh, condition of the negotiation, that people, you don't take anything away from white But who's negotiating, bro? Like, okay, you got Mandela, and who? It's the ANC. So the ANC is negotiating on behalf of the country. Yes. And they're negotiating with the ex-administrators of the colonial regime. And the National Party. And And the National Party. and, And the key, key people, the people keep avoiding who are actually on the table discussing the whole of this was the corporate your banks mm. your banks were sitting there <laughs> your mines were sitting there you know your ex state-owned enterprises they were all sitting there and they were having this wow. conversation and now and, and so they they were in, involved even in the drafting of the constitution they were involved and section 25 which is a very key complicated section in South Africa, in section 25 of the Constitution, South Africa says all land may be expropriated with compensation, right? And people didn't agree to this, but the ANC conceded to this, you know, and the issue was the compensation part. Meaning that, okay, yeah, yeah, so the land will be taken away from the white people, but they will be paid for compensated. They'll be compensated. They'll be compensated, and more especially, it won't just be done tomorrow. So there must be a period. There must be, you know, acts that are passed, the Land Act, and all of those type of things that are passed to allow this to happen. So it must take uh, it could take quite a while. But and then the white people raise the issue that yeah, but you know, we saw it happen in Zimbabwe. The people came, they took the land, and they didn't know how to run. They we saw it happening in Uganda where Idi Amin kicked out the Indians and the people got the shops and the economy crashed you know mm-hmm. they don't know how to run these these things they don't know and that was the issue that the white people had that they don't know they're far more afraid which i i disagree with if you look at the labor because anything is the labor you understand who does the labor a company is a labor farmers the labor who handles the the cattle, the everything, who the production. The only reason Zimbabwe crashed, the only reason Uganda crashed was because US sanctioned them. Britain mm-hmm. sanctioned. And anyone who wanted to trade with them was threatened. Don't trade with them or else we're gonna sanction you too. And that's why they failed. It failed. So the same situation was gonna happen in South Africa and they didn't want that. So then that happened, then Sabombegi becomes president. When Sabombegi mm-hmm. becomes president, president he creates what we call his legacy is what we call the black middle class or the clever blacks as we call them because now black people were now allowed to 
buy property in white neighborhoods to send their school in X models in white neighborhoods. The white schools, mm-hmm. you know, they're allowed to 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 engage or basically be members and community uh, community members of these white neighborhoods, white areas, right? Now, obviously, the biggest factor that is avoided here is there wasn't any psychological or mental uh, uh, decolonization that was done. Okay. So these are people coming in, looking at white people as the holy saviors are wanting to be like them. Mm-hmm. And so already mentally, you believe the white person is better than you, mentally. And structurally, so the entire structure is not decolonized. The schools still teach everything from a Western perspective. It's white mm-hmm. people's history. It's white people's accounting, economics, etc. Even the language. You're not allowed to speak your own native language in the schools. You know, but because now these were, were concessions that were made at the time, no one really saw it as a problem because, I mean, hey, we, we're here, we're integrating, we're kumbaya, we're holding hands. Do you understand? And the little yeah. bit of access that they gave you. And the biggest thing is that black people, and this is, this is my separation of what separates a black person from being a middle class and being a working class in South Africa. Black mm-hmm. people had access to credit. Okay. You know, you could yeah. now go to the bank and get a loan and get a loan for a car. You could go to the bank, get a loan for an apartment or how, uh, got a bond. You could have access to it before you couldn't, but now you can. So, what does this all symbolize? You're given a facade of okay of progression. You understand? Now you think you're better, and now you think you you you've made it in life. You're successful, but by virtue of nature playing out, you realize that I am not. I'm, I have to lose myself completely, lose who I am to be able to fit in to the spaces because none of these spaces were decolonized. Mm-hmm. You understand? So now then what happened is that it becomes a, a, a because now you have friends, you have white friends. Now you have white dream. You want to wear your white girl. You want to change your hair. You want to you wanna burn your hair and, and, and relax it. You want to talk in a certain way. You want to change your name. You know, you don't want to be mama. You want to be known as Mo, because it's easier on white people's tongues. You want to go to Greece and, and Italy and France. You, you want to eat in white places. You, you look at black people from your own our families who live in the township. You look at them as, as lesser than you because they, wow. they are not white enough. They don't speak, you know. And so here we call them coconuts. So black on the, uh, on the, on the yeah. outside, white on the inside, you know. There's nothing fundamentally black about you anymore other than the fact that you have a skin color. And that is now, they then have their own politics. Okay. You understand? Which then leads to them having facing an identity crisis. Why are they politics? Their politics is that white, white people will always remind you that you're black. They will always remind you that you have seen it with even Obama. I mean, President yeah. Obama, you understand? What well, is the first thing Trump did when he, he ran for president of Obama? Obama has a, uh, it's not from here. Yeah. <laughs> he questioned his, yeah. his citizenship. His citizenship and where he was born. And where he was born, do you understand? And then now he's trying to associate him with, with people who are criminals and all. So you always be reminded that you are black. And it's interesting because you said a couple of minutes ago, a couple of minutes, uh, 10 minutes ago, that you 
when it comes to this class of people, they have that identity crisis a lot of the time because they don't know, they know like no matter how far you excel mm. in, or in white institutions, no matter how many friends you have, mm. no matter how well you do, mm. you will always be reminded that you are still a Negro. You will will always be reminded. And then you, and then, then now you have that internal crisis. Am I, you know, uh, you know, where do I belong? Do I fight on the streets with people who look like me, but really and truly I feel like they're less than me? Yeah. Or do I, you know, struggle to fit in knowing that no matter what, I won't fit in. And I think it's very, but but this is what I'm saying though. That black middle class, I, I think we can look at them now and think, oh, these people are like this, but it is the system that engineers the creation of those people. Yes. Because it, the system needs to have a few people let through to say, look, look at progress. Yes. To say, look, okay. And then it reinforces the kind of pathologizing of black people are just lazy. Look, yes. he can make it. Why didn't you make it? Yes. yes. And as well, I think people, people need to understand. It's like, you know, the only time, not, not, the, sorry, not the only time, but mm-hmm. history has shown us time and time again, when you agitate the pockets of those who own stuff Mm. things get changed so what you have in the 60s in america is what is known as the era of black rebellion Mm. black rebellion what happened they were burning down shops they were looting they were rioting Mm. and the white corporatists and capitalists said no we can't have this Mm. they're messing up our money now Mm. and, and, and then you have two options now the american government could have went out and slaughtered people. Mm. And don't get me wrong, they killed many black revolutionaries mm-hmm. and infiltrated many black power groups mm-hmm. and brought them down. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they can't be seen to do that to their own people. So what they're going to say is, okay, fine. We will let now some people into our system. Yes. And those people, will, we will train them. They will, they will think like us. They will be like us. And they will believe in the system. I'm so now, sure. now they will do the work for us. They work, they do... And this is what I'm trying to say. This is why I don't like using the word racism as much as, and I prefer white supremacy mm. because it confuses it because we can't call the black middle class racist, mm. but we can call them, we can call them embodiments or people that manifest white supremacy. Absolutely. They, here in South Africa, we say they need exorcism because yeah, a gin. You know when your gin has taken over, <laughs> <laughs> and there need to be some ayat needs to be recited there. That that's what ha- was happening. And what then happens is what I call domestic violence because domestic violence. Yeah. we always uh, yeah. it's in the household. I mean, they still they still black, so they're in the household with us black people. Now, yeah. the, the fact that they are not being allowed completely in the white space frustrates them. And you know who they take it out on? Us. <laughs> when they come back to us <laughs> and then they look at us, you know, and try to be even more brutal than even white people, like beyond, just so the master can say, I see this one. Yeah, no. <laughs> this one is part of us, you know, because why? Fundamentally, they ha- they hate themselves. Self hate. Mm-hmm. It's self hate. It's true. Mm. It's true. Uh, and I think that's why you mentioned that it's not just material. There's a spiritual aspect. It's there's spiritual. a psychological aspect that also has to be dealt with. I have a question for last- you. Yeah, uh, uh, please. But I also have a question for you. But okay. you go ahead first. <laughs> my, my question is because here in South Africa, at least you here like race as problematic as it is, it's clear. You there's blacks, there's colors, there's Indians, there's white. There, 
I always struggle, and I always see people say this, but I struggle, and I wonder how you deal with it. This term, POC. Yes. You know, because <laughs> uh, it seems like it's kumbaya, like text everyone is not white. No, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I don't like the term. Cause we, so POC is more American, mm-hmm. and we use BAME. So we use the acronym B-A-M-E in okay, the UK. Okay. And that stands for Black Asian Minority Ethnic. Mm, okay. Yeah? I'll be honest with you. I don't like the bureaucratic language because first and foremost, it wasn't given to us. I mean, we didn't come over ourselves. The government mm. gave it to us. Mm. It's almost like this actual phrase for non-white. Okay. And what it does, it collapses the very real, the, the very real ex- sort of the, the experiences that different communities faces. Mm. However, however, what I won't do though, and this is maybe we might disagree, or you know, might have more of a material analysis or material approach. Mm. I won't fight over wording. Yeah, I won't fight over labels. Yeah. What I will fight over is what are the material conditions of Black people in this UK, and how can we improve them? And and naturally, there's going to be an overlap. Mm. So, so for example, we have. Black African, Black Caribbean, mm. often in, in many aspects, they're the same in many things. Mm. And in many things, and sometimes they differ. In, not, in, in, in only slight things, yeah? Um, many times we have, you might have the material interests of Black people or African people or Caribbean people mm. more in line with, say, example, someone from the Bangladeshi community. Mm. And in the Asian community, you have the Indians do better than everyone else. Yes. So I find, so that's why I say, like, yes, race, we have a race thing. But also that a race cannot be divorced from a class analysis, personally. That's 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 very true. And and, and that's why I asked you that, because I feel like when you collectively put one all of, all of these different people with different experiences in one box, you kinda of silence the one at the very least, which are the black people, you know? Because now we must celebrate the success of the Indian community, because now they're part of Bain. If they are given opportunities, they are given access, you know, uh, it, it must be celebrated by everyone. But yeah. we know I, that I, I, uh, struggle, that interpersonal struggle, intrapersonal struggle between these very two communities. Exactly. And that's why I always say then, as long as we have a material uh, structural analysis, with the race analysis, I'm okay. Mm. But, the, but, but then my brother, let me tell you something. Yeah. The opposite is also true, bro, mm. because it confuses now we now, I won't celebrate. Let's say we have a woman, and I've mentioned her so many times. Mm. She is, I believe, the cultural secretary in a right-wing government. Yeah, mm. This is a black lady, bro. Mm. She's a black lady. Mm. And now, because people have a race-first politic, mm. they feel like we have to celebrate her success. Why would I celebrate the success of a black person who is instituting policies that are against black people? No, you see what I mean. You're 100%. Likewise, in America, why would I celebrate the success of Kamala Harris, the vice mm. president of the UK, mm. when she is the vice president of an empire mm. that is responsible for the killings of so many black people? Mm. So, my, so that's my point. You see what I mean? So, when we have that structural analysis, it, it allows you to ask the important questions, mm. and you can delineate. Okay, cool. This is the people that we can support and should be supporting, and this is where our work should be. And this is where our work shouldn't be, because I'm telling you, if the only solution we're giving for black people Mm. is you can now become like the middle class white people, Mm. that's no solution. Mm. That's no solution. At all, at all. And that that is the issue with with the black middle class, because they become that, they become the gatekeepers. Exactly. Of of, of progress and success. Yes, of progress and success. What are you complaining about? Here you are. You know, here's a Kamala, here's a Barack Obama. 
Exactly. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter that his entire uh, government is white. Yeah, but he's black. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And that's why I kind of fear a lot. Not a fear, but I just try to move away from like, not even, I won't say race first, because just as much as I disagree with a race-only politic, mm-hmm. I also disagree with a class-only politic as well, because race does have a, a function. You know what I mean? So I feel like the strongest politics for me at the moment are where I am mm. is a kind of combination of the two. There's a, I don't know, I've, you probably read it, I don't know, but you have, if you haven't read it, I'll send it to you. There's a book by a man called Steve Biko called I Write What I Like. Okay. Know? And Steve Biko, he was uh, what we call it, he started the black conscious movement in, in, in the mm-hmm. 70s. Because Biko came and said, yeah, I see all these political parties that are pushing for this and that. But where as black people are not really ready to even get any form of freedom until we deal with the actual fundamental psychological, spiritual colonization that we underwent, you know, because by the time we integrate with white people, if we haven't done this work, if we haven't conscientized ourselves, if we haven't taught ourselves to love ourselves, we are going to get into to those spaces and we won't be ready to deal with someone who's had been fed white pride for the all for 400 years you know you, where you consider yourself as inferior and they consider themselves as superior so he in this book he writes says being black is beyond pigment of your skin being black is a mental it's a mental decision a psychological decision a spiritual one where you you accept that this is who I am and in this time you know it was a revolution so so where you accept that I, as a black person, I'm on my own. Once you understand that you are on your own, like you are not with anyone, no white person, no no one is for you other than yourself, then you will look after for you. You'll create solutions for yourself. I, I hear that. And I feel like at the same time, we can do, they're not, for me, I don't see them, you do one thing or the other personally. And I feel like as well, ultimately, when we're talking about struggle, everyone's role is different. You know? And I think not everyone can do everything. Yeah. So, for example, I would never, I think it's very important, and, and I know, in in a world which teaches people, like black people, to hate themselves, yeah. absolutely it's important that this belongs in the world of therapy, people, you know, we need collective therapy. Yes. We need collective consciousness therapy and healing, absolutely. Yeah. And and those things are, about, are what it means to build a healthy community. Yeah. But simultaneously, as when we're building healthy communities in the spiritual aspects, I just yeah. feel like, the, the material aspects of the people are starving and I feel like that needs to be fixed as well um, we can talk forever bro uh, I'm, I'm just because the length of my podcast I keep them this like short no this has been an amazing conversation man. But, bro I have to have you on again no in the future yeah. because you know you're a friend and a brother man I love being in dialogue with you oh, I will People hit up Inkazi on Instagram. I'll leave his Instagram in the description of this episode. Please like, comment, subscribe, The Malcolm Effect, and share it with your friends. Until next time, peace out. Salam.